Good evening. It's Tuesday, September 26, 2017. You are in for a treat. In fact, the next voice you will hear after the song is that of Pastor Kayla Robinson with the theme, Reclaim. Good evening, everyone. Good to see you all. You're all lined up here. <laughs> I like it. All right, so let's see. Saturday morning, we talked about the great book. That's right. <laughs> and we mentioned how it is uh, trustworthy, right? Historically reliable, and that there is vast evidence that proves it is trustworthy. So that was Saturday morning. Then Saturday night and Sunday night, we had different versions of how God pursues us. First, he set the sanctuary among us so that we can all have access to him. And then in the New Testament, he came physically. The word became flesh and he walked among the people. And then he made a special visit to a woman at the well, and he had a very important message for her. And then, last night, we talked about reclaiming our hearts from sin. And we talked about David and Bathsheba and how he messed it all up, but in the end, he went back to God and he asked God to clean his heart and create a new spirit within him. Tonight, we are going to talk about how to reclaim your friendships. How to reclaim our friendships. There was a British publication who once offered a prize for the best definition of a friend. Among the thousands of answers, these were some of the top choices. One who multiplies joys, divides grief, and whose honesty is inviolable. That was one. And then another one said, one who understands our silence. A volume of sympathy bound in cloth. People were just getting poetic, weren't they? A watch that beats true for all time and never runs down. That's an interesting, right? Now here's the winning definition, and this is what it read. A friend is the one who comes in when the whole world has gone out. I like that one too. A true friendship is perhaps the most valuable prize the most valuable thing you will ever possess. And so today's story depicts beautifully the lengths that real, that real friends will go to in order to serve another friend well. In Matthew 4.13, we find Jesus moving uh, back from Nazareth, his hometown, to live now in the town of Capernaum. Unfortunately, Nazareth had rejected and forced him out, so Capernaum now became his new hometown. For a long time, Jesus and his disciples had been on a preaching tour, if you will, ministering from town to town, but now it was time to go home for some rest. 
They remained under the radar for a while, but that only lasted for a very little while because soon word got out that Jesus was back in town and staying at a house nearby. And so he was known to the locals as the miracle worker. And people were eager to hear from him and were also eager to bring to him all those who needed healing. The Bible says that he preached the word to them. And although it does not specify what he preached, we can only assume that it was similar and along the lines of something as he preached during his tour, which where he preached about the kingdom of God and the gift of salvation from God to all. Whatever it was, we know the message of salvation was always more important to Jesus than healing. And that hasn't changed because Jesus is always more interested in soul healing than our physical healing. So Jesus and his disciples will all gather at home. They were all trying to keep a low profile when all of a sudden, From all over town, people began to cram into the tiny little house. We can assume that some came for the message while others came for the miracles. Let's turn to Mark 2, verse 1. And it says, And again he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. So the passage is not clear as to whose house they're at. It could be Peter's. It could be Jesus. It doesn't say. What we can tell about the house from what we just read is that it was obviously very, very small. And it was also very poor. Because of that house being so poor and so little, it did not have an upper room like some other houses did at the time. Only a ground floor that was open to the roof. Mark tells us in chapter 1 that after Jesus freed a man from a demon possession, instantly his fame spread like wildfire throughout the region and around Galilee. He was a superstar at this time and at this point in his ministry. Think teenage pop sensation. Wherever he went, a crowd followed him. And people were, of course, more interested in his healing powers than the message he came to share. So Jesus was very careful to choose the places he visited because he didn't want this to turn into the healing tour and take away from his main mission, which was spreading the gospel. As John Maxwell, the popular author, um, once said or has written in the past, Jesus was saying no to the good and saying yes to the, to the best. So people began to arrive at the house and soon it became standing room only. 
People were pressing against each other. They were breathing each other's air. They were packed in like sardines in a can. So let's see what happens next. Let's go to uh, verse 3 and 4. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. So once again, Mark reminds us that the house is so packed, the entrance is impassable. At this point, the four men had really a couple of choices here. They could just give up, go home, and try again another time. Or they could look for another way to see Jesus. Of one thing they are certain, their friend needed to see Jesus. And they were not about to give up. He couldn't accomplish that alone, so they were not going anywhere. They were not about to disappoint him. As they sat outside, half defeated, they began to brainstorm about different ideas. And finally someone says, I know, rooftop, of course. Let's go to the rooftop, the other said. And the paralytic man looks a little apprehensive about this. Not really sure about this idea. But I imagine he decides, okay, I give the go-ahead. Now, each man picks up one corner of the bed and they work together to carry the bed up the tiny set of stairs on the side of the house. When they finally reached the rooftop, they each began to take the tiles off one by one. A commentator on this says they actually broke up the roof of the house, tearing up the fabric. The point is that they worked hard to make a way until there was an, up and, an opening big enough for the bed to be dropped down into the house. The people inside the house were so immersed in what Jesus was saying that they didn't even notice what was happening upstairs. Out of the blue, a man in a mat is descending from the roof, forcing the people to get out of the way or the whole thing will collapse right on top of their head. So let's see what verse 5 says. When Jesus saw their faith he said to the paralytic son your sins are forgiven you so the efforts to bring their friend to Jesus were so evident that Jesus admiration for the four men's determination was visible I don't know how Mark knew because the verse doesn't specify. Maybe Jesus made mention of it like a proud papa in another private conversation to, to Mark. But, or maybe it was just the look on Jesus' face that gave it away. Regardless, the admiration that Jesus had for the four men's efforts was so visible, Mark just couldn't leave that part out as he writes the story.
That word when is the conjunction that ties together these two parts of the story. After Jesus saw their faith. When Jesus saw their faith, he moved on to heal the paralytic. The funny thing is the descending bed is literally in front of Jesus' face. But the first thing that Jesus notices is the four men who are still sitting on the rooftop. This is a story of four selfless men who worried about their friend. A story about four friends bringing their friends to Jesus. And we know very little about these four men. We don't even know their names. But what we do know is that they had faith. They believed in the power of Jesus and they loved their friend. Another name for these four friends could be compassion, faith, love, persistence. All instrumental qualities needed in order to bring others to Christ. One thing we cannot ignore as we read this passage is that they all worked together. Evangelism is rarely a one-person show. It takes people praying, others sharing the word, some doing the encouragement, others developing relationships, and a number of other things that eventually leads someone to Christ. The most important thing is faith. Faith in the power of God to transform lives. All of our efforts are useless if we don't have faith in Jesus Christ. The verse says Jesus saw their faith. It was visible. Their faith was in full display as they lowered their friend right before Jesus and in so placing their friend right at his feet. But now instead of hearing the words, you are healed, they hear Jesus say, your sins are forgiven. And at this point, I imagine they began to start screaming, no, he's paralyzed. That's what he needs. But Jesus knew very well what this man needed. Far more than physical healing Forgiveness is and will forever be our greatest need. Jesus did heal that man from his paralysis, but had he not, had Jesus not healed one single muscle in his body and then would have sent him home, he still would have gotten everything he really needed. Prolific writer Warren Worsby penned these words, Forgiveness is the greatest miracle that Jesus ever performed. It meets the greatest need. It costs the greatest price. And it brings the greatest blessing and the most lasting results. 
Jesus' one and only goal was and is to point people to heaven. Sharing the message of salvation was always his main goal while he spent time here on earth. And men had this written on his headstone, just one word, forgiven. There, there was no name, no date of birth, no date of death, just one simple inscription, nothing else, just the word forgiven. That is the greatest thing that can be said of any man and any woman. In 20, 40, or 60 years, that man's legs would once again give away. But the gift of forgiveness and salvation he received that day from Jesus, that last eternity. So let me ask you today, When was the last time you prayed for your friends to experience the joy of forgiveness and salvation? Have you done everything in your power to lead your family and friends to the feet of Jesus Christ? A friend of mine who is uh, an evangelist from South America He, his job really is to travel all over the world and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's done so to hundreds and thousands of people. One day he realized that he has spent his entire life preaching the gospel to strangers when his own friends and family members do not know Jesus Christ personally. So he decided to do something about it. One weekend, he rented out an entire campground. And he invited his entire family and all of his friends to come and spend the weekend there. And throughout the weekend, he continually shared the gospel with his family and with his friends. Some accepted it. Some did not. But now he can look at Jesus in the face and say, Lord, I did everything in my power to reach to them. What is your goal for your family and for your friends? Is it physical healing? Is it safety on the roads? Is it for them to enjoy good jobs, a growing family, or a hefty paycheck? Or is it for them to have a genuine encounter with the Savior of the world? What do your, what do your prayers sound like? Just like the four men, it takes compassion, faith, love, and determination to reach others for Christ. They couldn't just love their friend to Jesus. That was the part that initiated it all, but it did not complete the effort. They couldn't just have faith. They had to move their feet one in front of the other until they reached the house. And after they reached the house, they confronted an obstacle. And with persistence, they carried their friend up to the final round of the delivery. 
There is much to be learned from these nameless men about bringing our family and friends to the feet of Jesus. Do you know someone who needs to come to the feet of Jesus? What are you willing to do in order to help that happen? There's a great quote from Gospel Workers in page 193 that helps bring some clarity as to our role as we share the Gospel. It says, My ministering brethren, do not think that the only work you can do, the only way you can labor for souls is to give discourses. The best work you can do is to reach, it's to teach, to educate. Whenever you can, find an opportunity to do so. Sit down with some family and let them ask questions. Then, answer them patiently, humbly. Preach less and educate more. Wherever Sorry. Wherever you can gain access to the people by the fireside, improve your opportunity. Take your Bible and open before them its great truth. Your success will not depend so much upon your knowledge and accomplishments as upon your ability to find your way to their heart. By being social and coming close to the people, you may turn the current of their thoughts more readily than by the most able discourse. The presentation of Christ in the family, by the fireside, and in small gatherings in private houses is often more successful in winning souls to Jesus than our sermons delivered in the open air or even in halls. Or churches. All who engage in this personal labor should be constantly learning and especially giving themselves to prayer and to diligent study of the scriptures. So some of the most important things we can do to reach our friends and family members are one, work on developing a loving respectful relationship with them. It is said that you attract more bees with what? With honey than vinegar. So never engage in an argument. That is never a good tactic to use. Second, develop a habit of studying scripture and become a learner yourself of God's word so when the occasion arises, you are ready. And then third, share socially with those who need to hear the word of God. Don't isolate yourself. Take part of social events where the opportunity may come about to sit informally and present the truth of Jesus Christ. For allow the conversation to be dictated by the unbeliever. See where their heart is at. 
What questions do they have? Listen more and talk less. And most importantly, pray, pray, and pray that God will give you the right way and the right answers. Compassion, love, faith, and determination. All four qualities to work on, along with diligent study of God's Word and developing a habit of praying. I know we all have friends and we all have family members that we are praying for. And so what I want to do tonight is if you have someone that you are actively praying for or that you would like to start praying for, I invite you to come to the front and I want to have a prayer of dedication over us as we minister to those in our circles of influence, our friends, our families, or even neighbors, people that are in our hearts, that God has put in our hearts to reach for his kingdom. So let's just come forward, maybe even create a circle, circle that cannot be broken, right? Let's hold hands, because why not? <laughs> and as we pray, I invite you to name that person or those people in your mind as we are praying and lift them up as we pray. So um, let's see, one more person you want to pray, and let's have two, two prayers here. So today I rejoice and I praise you because there were family members who took the time to pray over me. And Father, there are people in this circle who are praying for their own children, Lord. There are people in this circle who are praying for their brothers, their sisters, their cousins, their best friends, their loved ones. And Lord, I know I am a walking example that you hear those prayers. And so to, tonight, Father, I pray that every single name that is in the minds of every single person in this circle, I pray, Lord, for a miracle. I pray for an outpouring of your Spirit. I pray, Lord, that you will move heaven and earth to reach them in their hour of need. I pray that they will not be able to take one more step without taking a look at their spiritual life and knowing that you are calling them by name at this very moment in this very day. You love them even more than any of us could ever love them. And so we know that you are willing to go the extra mile for them. Lord, give us the courage, give us the love, give us the compassion, give us the faith to work diligently to reach out to them. Give us wisdom to know what we need to do, Father, to do everything in our human powers to reach to them. 
and when there is absolutely nothing else for us to do, Lord, we leave it up to you. We thank you because you have listened, and we thank you for what you will do. In Jesus' name we pray.